0: You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now, here's your host, David Smale.
1: Carl Peterson was hired to lead the Kansas City Chiefs franchise in 1989. It was in disarray. The Chiefs had not won a playoff game since Super Bowl IV, which was nearly 20 years earlier. The Chiefs had only appeared in one playoff game since then, and had just two winning seasons in the previous 16 years. Worse yet, the Chiefs were not respected in their own community. Arrowhead Stadium was less than half full on an average NFL Sunday, and very few people in Kansas City wore Chiefs gear. But all that changed when Lamar Hunt, when owner Lamar Hunt hired Peterson, who in turn hired Marty Schottenheimer to be the head coach. Their first season together, Peterson and Schottenheimer led the Chiefs to a winning record. The next year they began a stretch of six straight postseason appearances. During Peterson's 20 years as the president, CEO and general manager, the Chiefs went 176-141-1, and one, and the team qualified for the playoffs nine times. More than that, the Chiefs became a model NFL franchise, and their game-day atmosphere at Arrowhead Stadium became the envy of fan bases around the league. The Chiefs kingdom is thriving today. Carl, welcome to Sports Connections.
0: Thank you. My pleasure to be here.
1: All right, so why did you choose to come to Kansas City to lead the franchise? Well,
0: it, it began and ended with a guy by the name of Lamar Hunt. Um, I had been in the NFL before for, uh, about seven years with the Philadelphia Eagles. I came with Dick Vermeule from UCLA, uh, to the Eagles. We had a, a great, uh, second season with Dick. Won the Rose bowl, beat the Ohio state undefeated Woody Hayes. Uh, and, uh, Got the job with the Eagles, and he said, I want you coming with me. And I said, Absolutely. But uh, first year, I coached, and then the second year, he kicked me upstairs to become director of player personnel and basically a director of football operations. Uh, for that, he wanted somebody in the front office that he knew and trusted and uh, knew what he needed to have to win. Right. So, um, I had, you know, I had uh, the opportunity in those seven years to go to a number of league meetings, and I met Lamar Hunt uh, on, on a number of occasions, and certainly everybody in the league knew who he was, and that uh, uh, I was actually at the first Super Bowl. It was the AFL-NFL championship game in L.A. Coliseum, 1967, January, uh, and Lamar was there obviously with his Kansas City Chiefs to play the Green Bay Packers. Um, uh, having grown up in Southern California, my, my dad had season tickets to the L.A. Rams. So I was very much of a pro football fan and, uh, you know, watched uh, from a distance uh, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, who were very, very good the first few years. Super Bowl one, and then they won Super Bowl four, And then, unfortunately, they started a real downhill slide after that, right. after they fired that. Thanks, but like I said, in the interim, I, I, I got a chance to meet and know Lamar a little bit. And uh, so after I finished uh, my uh, career, although brief, but a, a successful one with the Philadelphia slash Baltimore Stars of the United States Football League, which some people think is beginning again, and we can discuss that later. But uh, anyway... Um, I was fortunate to have a few interviews for general managers jobs uh, around the NFL because I had made uh, a lot of contacts when I was in the NFL for seven years with the Eagles. And then I got a call from Lamar Hunt and he said, I'd like you to come to Kansas City, uh, quietly look at my club, tell me what you think needs to happen. And he said, I'd I'd like you to possibly consider running it. So his reputation was certainly impeccable and, and loyal and one of, you know, one of the pillars of the league, as we said, you know, there was, there was uh, the Mares in New York giants in the East, as well as, as the Roonies in Pittsburgh. And then there was Lamar hunt. And, uh, so I did that. Um, I, obviously, uh, I said, Lamar, I, I hope you want an honest answer on what I what I found out here, and uh, not a placating one. He said, No, no, please tell me what you think and what you see. And I just said, the uh, franchise is fractured. I said, There's no trust from the from the top, from the president's job, uh, all the way down through player personnel, through uh, your general manager, to your locker room, to your players nobody likes or trusts anyone i said it's a shame but um there's a formula for winning and there's a formula for losing and unfortunately right now uh, the chiefs are mired in the formula for losing and they had lost like you said uh, almost all the time yeah um and so he said well what do you need to fix it and i said i'll, I'll be very candid i said this is not an egotistical answer but because it is so fractured, I think that the person that you hire to run the franchise is going to have to have the titles of president, general manager and CEO. And I said, uh, and uh, that's candidly what I would need to have uh, to come to Kansas City to do this. And I said, and I know it's a, an awful lot to ask of you, because you're act- actually going to have to say goodbye to three individuals that hold those positions right now. And a couple of them have been with you a long time. But um, in my humble opinion, it's not going to change until there's one voice. I so said You you're, you are an absentee owner. I know you're not going to change and move from Dallas, Texas to Kansas City. And uh, I don't think it's necessary. But um, that's what I'm, I would need. And uh, I said, you know, I, I have had, Experience of rebuilding an NFL franchise, albeit with Dick Vermeil, we, we walked into almost the same thing in Philadelphia. Yeah. We had no draft choices for the first three years. They hadn't won in 16 years, and in the fifth year, we we're in the Super Bowl. And then I said, I get a chance to start something from scratch, from the first paperclip, hiring the first employee, uh, something called the United States Football League, the Philadelphia franchise initially. For years and we won we were at all three championship games and won the last two so i said you know i think all of those things that that will give me a great deal of experience and lastly i said i look at this game a little bit differently than maybe most if you want to say front office people because i started as a coach and i said the ultimate in this game is coaching teaching players how to be better how to be winners Uh, how to play as a team and uh, I think that I can hire someone that can do that and and the other aspects of it and I said so you know that's what I would need and Lamar God bless him he said "Uh, Carl would you mind if I uh, thought about this for uh, you know a little while yeah Lamar
1: you're the owner
0: take as long as you need it (laughs) call me back call me back in 24 hours I was living in actually a South Jersey area across the river from Philadelphia. And uh, he said, you're my guy, let's go. And I said, uh, thank you. I appreciate the confidence and, and the opportunity. And so I actually uh, had the press conference. I think it was like the 21st of December of 1988 and started on uh, January 1st of 1989. But um, you know, it, it certainly wasn't just me. I, I had some great people. i was very fortunate to hire some very talented people around me, uh, starting with my head coach, uh, yeah. Marty Schottenheim. I had known a long time. We had actually coached against each other. He was at the Giants coaching linebackers when I was at the Eagles coaching tight ends and receivers And uh, for one year. And then uh, we kept track of each other in that, but he went on to Excellent career at Cleveland. His last year there, you know, he won the division. He won four division titles, I think, at Cleveland. The last one, though, was with his fourth quarterback. Wow. Quarterback by the name of Don Strzok. Yeah. Who, who today, who today would be about the same age as Tom Brady. But uh, he, uh, uh, Marty did a great job of coaching and then got into an argument with, with uh, Art Modell. and, the, Unfortunately, sometimes owners think they know the game, know how to coach. I was select coaches and that, and was asking Marty to, uh, frankly, fire some of his coaching staff, including Marty's brother, who's an excellent coach, and, uh, um, and a guy by the name of Bill Cower, and Howard Mudd, and, and some other talent coaches. And Marty said, listen, if you want me to do that, you're going to have to fire me because I'm not going to fire my staff. Uh, They did a great job. They have for the four years I've been here. Anyway, so he got fired, and then he said, Carl, I know you're looking for a coach. Can we meet? I said, absolutely. And uh, I interviewed him twice, once at the uh, East West Shrine game, San Francisco, and then Palo Alto, and then at the uh, Senior Bowl. And he was my guy and brought him in and uh, we had already done a lot of work with trying to figure out what our season ticket holders needed and wanted. But I knew right away that they were not going to be the future of the chiefs because the average age was about 63. Yeah. These 23,000 season season ticket holders. So um, we had to start doing some innovative, creative things. Off the field, but the number one thing that they said uh, in these I did focus groups and uh, surveys and so on with the season table, they just said, Carl, if we could just possibly get to 500%, just 500%, (laughs) just win as many as we lose, we would be so pleased. We, you know, we would be prideful of our Chiefs again and so forth. And lo and behold, Marty goes eight, seven, and one the first year, winning season. You're right. And, and, uh, uh, and the one, the one was a tie at Cleveland. Right. If we had won that game and we had a chance to win a kicker, just had a bad day. Um, uh, we would have, we would have been in the playoffs the very first year, but then, like you said, for the next six years, we were in playoffs. Marty did a fabulous job. We got better and better on the field and we got better and better off the field. And, uh it started to fill up on the second year we had a free sellout, and then
1: uh, uh we'll get in on. we'll get into the Carl, we'll get into yeah. the, the development of chief's kingdom here in just a second i want to talk a little bit more about about marty you two didn't yep. always do eye to eye but you guys had a really good working relationship how did you work so well together
0: well i, I would i would share with you first of all i hired marty Almost immediately, both in Philadelphia and Cleveland, maybe particularly Cleveland, there were articles about this is the worst marriage in the history of the NFL. <laughs> this, this president, GM, and this head coach will never last. They're both too stubborn. They're both too set in their ways. They both, you know, want to run the, the, the organization from the top to the bottom. And, uh, how right they were, right? Uh, our, our marriage lasted 10 years. But, um, <laughs> the the, the simple, a simple answer is, first of all, of course you're gonna have uh, differences. You're gonna have discussions. You're not gonna see everything the same way. Then. But we both agreed early on that we, we needed to turn this organization around. And the only way we're gonna do it is, is to work together uh, yes, behind closed doors, we could have just differences, discussions, and so forth about players and and the philosophy, offense, defense, special teams, whatever. But when we walked out of the door, uh, we made decisions. It wasn't Carl's decision. It wasn't Marty's decision. It was a chief's decision. Yeah. Um, and and I think both of us really uh, worked at that. And, and it, it wasn't that difficult. I mean, uh, we saw so many things the same way, which was real plus. I, I've always said that uh, general manager and the head coach have to be connected at the hip. And and the general manager's job, when I was the general manager president, uh, the owner would ask the general manager to find the head coach and, and hire him with, with obviously the owner's approval. But um, I always felt that was my number one job. And then number two was to give my head coach everything that he needed to win. And that begins with the staff that he wanted. Right. Um, And he wanted a lot of those coaches, obviously, from Cleveland to come over with him. He had some other guys. However, I could assist him with that. In the NFL, you're, you're supposed to ask permission of ownership if you want to talk to it coach you know from another team about leaving that team and coming to you um we uh, we talked about obviously player personnel um every aspect of, of the game but uh we, we we would not be afraid to talk our way through it together because we felt that uh, that's the only way we're really going to succeed and um like i said it it, it was amazing how how much we saw the same thing through the same lens, if you will. Yeah. Uh, not always, but the other part of it was that, uh, and Marty was extremely uh, cooperative. Do some of the things that I felt needed to be done with the head coach by the head coach, and helping us quite candidly fill that stadium, sell season tickets in there. We went out on caravans together. We took initially we took uh, the older. Uh, Chiefs players that were still in town: Walter White, Ted McKnight, uh, uh, Jan Stenerud, Len Dawson, Bobby Bell, and we uh, toured around in caravans in Kansas and Missouri and Nebraska, and selling season tickets. I mean, we had how we were—they—they they made fun of us in the paper that we were a vaudeville show. But, you know, we—we <laughs> get up there and we're hawking the Chiefs. Well, we were, and and. And uh, but we were sincere in, in how we were going to do it, and um, and Marty dug right in with it. I mean, he he never said, "Hey, I'm too busy. I can't do that, or I shouldn't do that, or whatever. I don't want to do that." He was he was always there and uh, really made a difference. Uh, as they said, a lot of people they call it the Carl and Marty Show, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know you can take that any way you want, but. We sold, if you can believe this, like I said, the year before I came, we came. It's 23,000 season tickets. By the time we kicked off for our first year, 1989, we had sold 37,000 tickets. And uh, I'll never forget this. uh, At a league meeting, Lamar was very proud of that, very proud of that. And he stood up and announced it to his fellow owners. I'm sitting next to him there. And uh, people don't know this. Billy Bidwell from the St. Louis Cardinals at that time stood up and basically called Lamar Hunt a liar. Okay. I mean, you're talking about the meeting stock right there. Yeah. I mean, basically, he basically accused him of falsely giving this information. And it you know, took Lamar back a bit. And Lamar said, Billy, you want to come over and count every one of those 37,000 season tickets? <laughs> I'll be right there with you. And But Billy's, you know, he was the old of the old school philosophy that, listen, if you win, they'll come. If you don't, they won't. And uh, I think one of the things that I learned uh, pretty well was in something called the United States Football League, a new pro football league in the spring, I learned sports marketing. Yeah. You know, I, I was a football coach and, and a player personnel guy, but I learned there's another aspect of of the game and it's the entertainment value. And that, uh, that's what, you know, uh, took off The the, uh, the tailgating thing, uh, the same thing. I mean, Marty would have, if I had asked him, but he, I didn't want him to on game day to come out <laughs> and walk the parking lots with Lamar and I, we went every, every, uh, Sunday morning out and walked and, and stopped at as many tailgate parties as we could. And, and uh, Lamar Hunt there, you know, he'd walk up and he'd say, hi, my name's Lamar Hunt and and what's your name and where are you from? And boy, that's a great looking, you know, brisket that you're you're barbecuing here for the game today. And and I mean, and people would say, Mr. Hunt, I know who you are. (laughs) Anyway, you know, uh, uh, Carl, I know who you are and and, gee, it's great to have you guys out here. And I said, no, it's great that you're here. And uh, so we I I, thing I told Lamar was uh, that was one aspect. I said, I know the Midwest. I know the football fans in the Midwest and I know how much they love to tailgate. I had been to Missouri to KU K state Nebraska and that, and and I said, uh, we're going to accentuate tailgating. We got, we got a parking lot where we can park 26,000 cars huge, you know, we share it with the, with the Royals and, uh uh, I said, Lamar, I need you here to help me judge these tailgating contests. We want to make we want to make game day at Arrowhead so special that everybody wants to be here, even if they don't have a ticket. Yeah. And uh, and and Marty certainly did his part by putting together a hell of a team, coaching him, and and uh, you know we took off and started winning, and it was fun. We had. We had a lot of fun with it, too. I mean, we did some crazy innovations, yeah. sales things, but, but uh, even the players liked it and laughed at it. For the previous 16 years, they had said every year, you know, most marketing, sales groups, NFL teams do this, you know, there'd be some slogan, some promise, some saying, okay? And uh, ours was, no slogans, no promises, just hard work. Yeah, and uh, we did, we did black and white TV commercials of our players working in the off season, off season pumping iron in in our uh, workout room, and that. And uh, anyway, we did some corny things. We did some other things. I think that, that obviously resonated and worked. And uh, and then you couple that, like I said, with with what Marty was able to do you know with our drafts, I know I know who I hired. It's a defense coach right? he, was a, he was a coordinator at Cleveland before he got elevated to be the head coach after Sam Shariano left. Um, I knew we needed to build a defense, and we had a guy there who was kind of a bust his rookie year, Neil Smith. yeah but we had an opportunity. With the fourth pick in the draft, to take a guy by the name of Derek Thomas, yeah, and uh, it, it didn't. That decision, I can tell you, this we debated debated maybe fifteen seconds about that. <laughs> Both of us felt the same way about Derek and Marty. Uh, frankly, accentuated the defense, and it became very special. And once we fill the stadium, we got the fans involved. And Tim, like I said, in in your book, your your, your guy's book really uh recognize it I, I really I appreciated that I, pr- I would have appreciated probably even more but uh, the noise factor at Arrowhead the way the stadium's built in that you know we got to the point we tried to suffocate any offense that came in there and yeah. tried to audibleize and I mean uh, we rattled more quarterbacks I don't think we played a rookie quarterback in seven years didn't throw at least one or two interceptions the first time they walked into Arrowhead. I mean, yeah, you know, it was it was great. But but Tim, as an offensive player, really appreciated it too. And and yeah. uh, uh, and then you know did their part of, of uh, we 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 had you know the quarterbacks we had you know, besides Steve Deberg, who was a great guy. Some people forget this. Uh, I, I brought in the first year plan B, Ron Jaworski. Okay, yeah. who was our starting quarterback with the Eagles and took us to Super Bowl 15. And he was at the end of his career. And I brought in, and it's definitely in there, and I knew Tim would, would talk about him, Mike Webster. And we brought Mike in to become the offensive assistant offensive line coach. And after about three practices, Mike came to Marty and to me and said, you know what, I think I can help you more uh, between the lines than, than standing on the sideline. And uh, he was our starting center the first year. And and then Tim, we drafted him in the second year, and Tim learned everything he could from Mike Webster. Yeah, what a great teacher! But um, you know, one thing builds on another, and, and we we had a lot of fun with it, um, and we just uh, kept getting better every year. So
1: yeah, it was you a know, good it was a good formula. You and I have talked in the in the past about the what's now known, excuse me, as Chiefs Kingdom. Is really more of a college atmosphere than a than a pro yep, yep. atmosphere, and I know you were very purposeful in that. And part of that was encouraging and even insisting that players get out and and do radio shows, do things to get in front of the to to meet with the fans. To me, Carl, the thing that's the most impressive is you didn't just tell your players to do that; you did that yourself, and that's risky. Because you allowed the fans who may not have liked the latest decision to interact directly with you, talk about why you did that. Well,
0: uh, first of all, I had asked Marty to do it because you know most head coaches and and Marty uh, just it was very candid. Or he said, "Carl, you know, um, I'm not going to be comfortable doing that." He said, "I'll do all the interviews, you know, on game day, uh, record them before the game, and." and uh during the week but he said uh uh, i would much rather spend my time preparing for the uh, the game on sunday and uh and i said fine and then i said uh, to myself i said look at somebody from you know the front office the coaching work has got to do this because fans need an outlet that they can either come or call in and bitch about what you did and how terrible you did it. Why would you do this? How could you be that stupid or uh, talk about it, brag about it, you know? And, uh, um, you're right. Players, that was, that was a a tricky decision. I can tell you that Marty was, was not real thrilled initially, but, um, it, it was again, like I said, part of the plan to get players involved in the community. And, uh, Uh, and some of them obviously jumped into it like Tim and and did a great job with it and were, uh, really, really good. Um, I, I I could tell you a story on, on Tim though, that, uh, was a a bit of a, a stumble or a fumble, uh, in one of his shows, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it worked and, and, uh. People, I know people like to meet players. If 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 a player got out there, you know Tim Grunhardt, and met and shook hands with 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 Joe Schmatz and his wife or whatever. Joe Schmatz is going to be a fan of Tim Grunhardt the rest of his career. Yeah, and and hopefully the rest of his career is at the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, you know uh, they were so good that I started also then as you you know something called the Chiefs Ambassadors. I wanted to get all the Chiefs players who had retired in, in the Kansas City area to get reinvolved with the Chiefs. Uh, they hadn't done this before. Uh, basically, the Chiefs alumni. I wanted them to, uh, yes, help us sell tickets, but more importantly, to get involved with our players and, and help them uh, get acclimated to the community of Kansas City. And uh, they would come to practices. We took, them, we, took, we took four or five of them on every trip with us. Um, they, they looked, I gave them a tent every year. I, I uh, gave them a budget and got them a big circus tent out in the parking lot. They could have their own party for, for their clients. You know, they were in business, many of them, bars, yeah. liquor store, you know, banking, real estate. But a place that they could bring in and then allowed them. And Marty was very, very cooperative on the field during pregame. You know, nothing more exciting to anybody, whether it's a young person or an older person, to be able to get down on the floor of Arrowhead Stadium and and stand on the sideline and watch these guys warm up and work out and so forth. Um, But, you know, little things like that were really big things and and, uh, made impressions. And the Chiefs Ambassador does a great job, and you know, I'm so proud of Timmy. Went on after he graduated, as I call it, uh, <laughs> retired. You know he became the president of of uh, the Chiefs Ambassadors for a few years, and, and still very involved. Uh, the Derek Thomas Neil Smith Third Law Foundation. Uh, he's very involved in. I've, I've been a member from when we started with Derek as one of the very first. Uh, 501c uh, foundations, but um, you know, it, it, again, it takes a certain type of player, not everybody, right? You know, can get up and, and, and talk and, and uh, be gregarious with people. And that. Priest Holmes, great, you know, I had him sign the addendum. I had every one of these players sign this addendum. Like I said, agents were pissed off because I wasn't paying them, but I said. This is their paying back to the community. This is their thanks for giving back. But uh, he said, Mr. Peterson, I'm not a a guy who can get up and talk in front of anybody. I said, what do you like to do? He said, I love to play chess. I said, okay, why don't you, every Wednesday night, go to the Boys and Girls Club and teach some boys and girls how to play chess. Guy, guy's a magnificent, magnificent chess player, obviously. I mean. You know he was a great running back had had uh, like marcus who we learned from uh, uh peripheral vision you couldn't believe and anticipate the defenders move before the move the, the defender does it you know make a miss and all of rest. anyway um so again we had uh, and then they would start their 501 c foundations uh, my uh, director of community relations brenda snazik Tim uh, yep. mentions hers she was fabulous with fabulous with the players and uh, we we'd start and then they put their they asked them, can we put the banners up around the uh, the walls at arrowhead on game day I said absolutely put them up there they'd be proud of this stuff and yep. and, uh, and they were and, and uh, uh, you know a lot of fun and then you know guys have continued things. Uh, we signed Willie Rolfe. And uh, Willie was a very, very close with Derek Thomas. Never played together. Played against each other a lot. We worked against the uh, Saints every year up in River Falls, Wisconsin, right, right. and across Wisconsin. And he he took over. He he uh, he buys, or he bought, at least when he was playing here, 58 tickets, season tickets, for 58 deserving kids from the Derek Thomas Third and Long Foundation. And uh, um Anyway, so, you know, it, it, it was rewarding into itself, but the guys found out how much they enjoyed it, how much they enjoyed giving back, you know, and uh, uh, that, that's when you really, as Tim said, buy into the community and the community yep. buys into them.
1: Uh, Carl, I wanna talk about two people in particular, and you've mentioned a lot of names, but two that you've mentioned several times and I've, I had them on my list. First of all, your relationship with Derek Thomas. I helped Al Wallace write his biography, and he talked about how close you were to Derek. Just talk about that relationship.
0: Well, it was a you know, pretty unique relationship. That I've, I've always tried to. It starts when you're coaching. You, you can't help but get close and maybe closer to some players than others. I mean, It's yeah. just human nature, human nature that you like certain guys maybe a little bit more than other guys. But, um, you know, as, as, as a president, GM, CEO, I, I didn't want to be accused of playing any favorites or anything else. But this guy was, was uh, my, hour, certainly Marty, was involved in our number one draft choice with the Chiefs. And um, he really bought in early on on what we were doing. I, I told him the same speech I gave Tim, yeah, uh, but I gave us Derek a earlier. I said, Derek, I don't want you in uh, Miami Beach where you grew up. I don't want you in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where you played. You know, a three-time All-American linebacker at, at Alabama. I, I want you in Kansas City, and I want you to get involved in the community and that. And uh, and he and he did it. He did it with a great uh, gusto, a great smile. He, he uh, fun-loving guy. Yeah. Um, but uh, absolutely a ma- magnificent athlete and uh, could just about do any, could play probably any position on, on a football team. But um, as Tim said, and he was right, he, he quickly became our linchpin, our, our playmaker, and very few defensive players can do that. Yeah. And uh, I said that when I. Introduced him and then accepted for him at, at uh, the Hall of Fame posthumously. unfortunately. Uh, in my lifetime in the National Football League, which is about 35 years, old, I've probably seen three or four, maybe five, defensive players who could change the course of a game. And and uh, during that game, and Derek was that guy. You know, yeah. Tim Brodey. When we when we needed a sack. When we needed a strip sack, we needed a ball, uh, when we needed a big play, uh, when they're driving and we needed we needed to knock them back 15, 20 yards, he inevitably came up with the play. I mean, yeah. he's just one of those sacks. And, um, but he also, for all of his notoriety and talent, was a very humble guy too. He did an awful lot of things philanthropically that a lot of people don't know will never know about. Uh, and I was privileged to know a fair amount of it because we were close. But he needed he needed a father figure. Okay, yeah. his dad he had lost the Vietnam wars, you know, and pilot and went down in something called Operation Linebacker. And how is that for irony? Hmm. But that was yeah. the, of the mission that he was on. Anyway, um, and uh, so he he was brazen enough if you want to say that he would come up to my office. Uh, from time to time, and say, uh, uh, Carl, <laughs> he never <laughs> called me Mister <Mr>. Pierce. <laughs> I said, Derek. Anyway, he'd say, uh, "Can we just talk? Uh, can we just talk about a few things, and, and not football?" Yeah. And I said, "Sure, come on in, come on in, and let's talk." So he talked about business. He talked about life. He talked about uh, goals, uh, both football-wise and after football, that he wanted to. To try to achieve. And uh, uh, very interesting guy. And so uh, I didn't want to take too much of, of company time, if you will. So I said, Look, at, uh, you want to continue this. Why don't we uh, have uh, uh, drinks or dinner on Thursday night? We pick a restaurant in the Plaza. I live down in the country, club. Plaza. Right. And uh, he said, Great, great. So we did that for a number of years. And yet, uh, Tim, I, I, I was again, glad to read your book. Um, as, as I'm sure some guys players looked at that, maybe the coaches too, as, you know, uh, a strange relationship, uh, for the guy running the organization to spend that time with, with, uh, albeit a star player, but, um, uh, there didn't seem to be any animosity, jealousy or whatever. Um, Marty and I used to smile about it. When Derek would screw up, he had, he had this pension. He and Neil Smith, it was like a contest. Who could be the last guy to the meetings? Okay, the last guy. With 30 seconds to go, you know, they both jump into a meeting. It just drove Marty nuts with this. And sometimes charter flights out you know to a game on Saturday afternoon, and we'd be waiting there on a plane the only – Two guys not there yet were Neil and Derek. Anyway, but um, he needed some guidance, and uh, when he would screw up, you know, he would he would first come to me, and I would say, "No, he said, you go to the principal. You go to Marty. This is Marty's situation. I don't coach the team. Marty does." And then he'd go to Marty and that, and sometimes Marty would call me and say, "Okay, I'm sending our." A wayward student to you, you are the superintendent. <laughs> Anybody comes to the superintendent's office, my office. And, um, uh, you know, he, he, he was just very special. He, I guess I was a father that he never had. Yeah. And I never had a son. I had, I had one daughter in my first marriage. And uh, uh, anyway, he was good to be with. Uh, he, He could give me obviously uh, whether directly or indirectly, some insight on what he saw the team was doing or what they weren't doing. Um, And obviously, uh, you know, I I heard from other players about their thoughts on what Derek was doing. and shouldn't do it, but uh, he was like Marty and myself. He had one goal and one goal only. How do we win games? How do we win games? How do we get to the world championship? And, um, uh so, you know, it, it was a unique relationship, but one that, uh, frankly, I always cherished. Obviously, when we tragically, tragically lost him, mm-hmm. uh, it hit me pretty hard. And uh, it was like losing a son. Yeah. And it still is. And, I, you know, I, I think about him fairly often. And I'm still a member and a proud member of the board of directors of the Third and Long Foundation. And, and Neil Smith's done a great job of jumping in there, yep. uh, taking over with Derek uh, gone. But anyway, so that was, uh, you know, the, uh, I mean, I went through all his trials and tribulations. Uh, you know, hey, the man uh, had, uh, let's see, five, five women, seven children, never married any of them, but took care of. Every one of those children, Yeah. every one of those children. And uh, when he, when he would, uh, like he'd say, father, i screwed up. I said, literally, he said, literally, I said, go up to the HR person, fill out the forms. Let's be sure that this offspring has insurance and so on. And uh, when he did pass, every one of those kids got, uh, you know, insurance money, which uh, for many of them meant, meant college or not. And, yeah. Uh, uh, but, um, you know, unique and uh, geez, talented. When yep. he spoke extemporaneously at the Vietnam War Memorial, it was uh, riveting. Yeah. He, he did the same thing here in Kansas City with the uh, Veterans Administration uh, Award, Gold Medal Award he got, and all the rest. But um, I, I uh, you know, I have always cherished that time. I think his teammates feel the same way.
1: Yeah, yeah. He was a well-loved. I've I've talked to quite a few of them, uh, even recently, and and they all share that. The other person I wanted I want to give you a chance to talk about is Dick Vermeule. I think it's absolutely awesome. Probably not as awesome as you think it is, but how cool is it that Dick Vermeule is going into the Hall of Fame this summer?
0: Well, believe me, I think it's. More than awesome, you know. I, I worked on this thing three years, <laughs> and uh, finally got it to fruition. It should have been in five years ago, yeah. Uh, after we retired, but um, you know, Dick is is uh, is not only a lifelong dear friend, but uh, looking back in my career, he's certainly a mentor. I mean, a big mentor. Um, I got my biggest opportunity with him uh number one uh, retaining myself as well as most of the coaching staff at ucla we we all we all were hired by most of us by pepper rogers okay, okay. and uh this would be 1972 uh yeah and and uh and Pepper was uh, a very fine coach and a unique guy. And, and we had really good teams Went eight and three and nine and two in his last two years with us, but because of the pack at that time, pack eight, pack 10 rule conference rule, if you didn't win the conference, you, you couldn't go to a bowl. didn't matter what your record was. And so we missed out on two years of, and we were eight and three and nine and two. We had better record than a lot of bowl teams, but we didn't go, and the thing we uh, we couldn't do is get over the hump by beating SC, USC, and, and going to the Rose Bowl. And in two short years, Dick Vermeule came in, and he did it. And uh, he retained seven of the nine assistant coaches, uh, which was a smart move because we, we obviously have really good recruiting staff with those yeah. records and um, very compatible. You know, but Terry Donahue, Lynn Stiles, uh, Jim Kreiner, Rod Dowhower, Dick Tomey. We had, we had, uh, off of that staff after winning the Rose Bowl and beating Woody, undefeated, number one team in the nation, Ohio State, that killed us earlier in the year. Um, five or four or five of them went on to become head coaches in the, in major college football. Wow. and then and then, beyond that, and uh one of those years, Jim Morris senior was with us um so you know it was uh it was it was a, an honor if you want to say that to to work for a dick Verille yeah um not easy to work for i would tell you hard hard, hard working but one of those guys who never would ask me to do something that he wouldn't do it himself yeah but um uh yeah. So when, when he got the job, and initially he, he turned it down with the Eagles because he told us, our staff, look, it, we're, we're, we're building something great here at UCLA. We're building a national championship team, and we're not that too uh, too far away from it. And uh, if I leave, he said to go to the pros, and he'd been with the Rams before, right? Chuck Knox and, and uh, uh, George Allen at the Rams. He said, and I do want to get back and, and coach in the NFL uh, perhaps someday, but if I leave, I can only take two or three of you guys with me because I'm going to have to get some pro coaches. And, uh, you know, we all said, hey, Dick, don't worry about us. Think about Carol your family. And so he finally he finally met with the owner of the Eagles, Leonard Toast. And uh, I was privileged to a lot of this because beside coaching the tight uh, ends and wide receivers, um, I was Dick's administrative assistant. So I answered a lot of these phone calls from um, Leonard Toast, you know, imploring Dick that he had to meet with him for breakfast in the Beverly Hills Hotel. And and uh, so when Dick left he, in that morning, he said, don't worry, I'm not going to take the job. Huh. I said, okay, but give me a, give me a call anyway, would you, you know, after your breakfast meeting, he called me, he says, I took the job. <laughs> 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 and I said, well, I hope I'm one of those two or three guys that's going with you. He said, absolutely. He says, you're coming with me to Philadelphia. And, uh, and that was a great break in my career. Uh, I, I had, I had come to the conclusion as much as I enjoyed college coaching. And I'd been a head coach at a small college, California state university at Sonoma, uh, and high school before, but I didn't want to coach at that level forever. Yeah. And, uh, so I was thrilled, but you know, fast forward. Like I said, we we inherited an awful team, depleted with uh, uh, no draft choices. I kid Dick to this day. I said, "How in the hell could I have been so stupid uh, to to leave the security of the coaching to become personnel director when we had no, no draft choices to use to pick personnel?" <laughs> we had we had to sign. I mean, I'm out there with my scouting set looking for college free agents I mean, herm Edwards was the best college free agent we signed came in started nine years just at the cornerback but Wilbur Montgomery was a sixth round pick Carl Harrison was a seventh round pick uh, these guys you know we had the starting force in the Super Bowl 15 I think four college free agents and uh, but the coaches did a great job and uh, you know it was great when I left the stars, Dick thought that I should take that opportunity because it was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Yeah, and, and like I said, it really exposed me to all the other aspects of, of the professional football. Uh, but now when I got the job with the Eagles, of course, the first guy, or excuse me, with the Chiefs, the first guy I went to was Dick. I said, I want you to be the head coach. And he said, you know, Carl, I'd love to, but I'm just not ready to get back into it. He had been, uh, uh, you know, retired, burned out, whatever you want to say. And he was doing the, uh, the broadcasting with Brent Musburger, college football, and enjoying that very much. And I said, you sure you don't want to be the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs? He said, I'm sure. I said, okay, then you will, at minimal, do this. I want you to be a color analyst for the Chiefs uh, preseason games uh, during the, the summer and come to Kansas City and, and travel with us and, that. and he said you know I'd kind of like to keep my foot still in the NFL he said that that sounds like a good idea I'll do that yeah. so he did that I don't know if you remember that yeah he and, and I Roger Twyville yeah. he did a great job and then and then Dick calls me and he says I took the job and I said what job are you talking about he said the St. Louis Rams I said Dick right state, but wrong city. What the hell are you <laughs> doing in St. <San> Louis? <laughs> and, and I told him then, I said, listen, you can't go. I'm not going to let you go. You're under contract to do a, the Chiefs preseason games. And we laughed about that. And so he takes the job, St. Louis, and the first, people don't remember this, is my, but Roger does, but the first uh, preseason, actually all three preseason, we would play St. Louis. Remember, it was a grocery yeah. bowl. Yeah, or, or the Governor's Cup. We actually had a big Governor's Cup we play for. you get the governor of Missouri there. Anyway, I said, okay, Vermeil, in the fourth quarter, I want you to put down your St. Louis Rams headset and come over to our side of the field, put on the announcing headset, and do some color play-by-play for the Chiefs, because you owe me on this contract. Yes. <laughs> and he did. And he did. He came, we, we had fun with that. He came over and you know, called a few plays and did some things. But um, finally, 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 after he retires from the uh, Rams and he's out of here, and we talked we talked every Friday when he was running the Rams, um, I could tell he still had a void. And I said, yeah. I, need, I need a head coach. I need you. And uh, we went out, and Ben uh, Stiles and I recruited not just Dick, but Carol Vermeule, because she was the one to convince. Yeah. And uh, and he took it. And so I got a chance to hire the guy that hired me. Yeah. And that doesn't happen very often in your lifetime. Hire the guy that hired you. And uh, anyway, so this thing with uh, the Hall of Fame, I, I told him, I said, Dick, if there's one last thing I'm going to do for you, is I'm going to find a way to get you into the pro football Hall of Fame. And he yeah. said, Carl, don't worry about it. He said, you know, it's not that important. It's a nice award. But he said, you know, if I get it, fine. If I don't, fine. And I said, Dick, you're lying. I said, I know it's important. Yeah. And uh, it, it is, I would share with you, the culmination of a magnificent football coaching career. And that's what I will say when I present him in august in canton because it is he's been a winner a coach of the year every every level he's been at and uh in his 15 years head coach in the nfl he accomplished everything he won division titles with three teams conference titles with two teams super bowl with two teams won a super bowl uh, plus all the players coaches staff that he touched and uh we're going to have a great party then but yeah I uh, could talk on and on about Dick Vermeule he he is exactly what you see yep. there's not a, a phony bone in his body loyal to a fault yeah but so easy to be loyal to yeah um, sincere honest hard working doesn't describe him it's you know but he um He's a very special human being, as his wife is and his family, and uh, so well, well deserves this. And uh, we're all just uh, thrilled. We were at the Super Bowl with them to celebrate this. You know, they announced it there yeah. in L.A. And then uh, at the uh, honors, NFL Honors uh, show on Thursday night, and then in the first quarter at the Super Bowl game. Uh, and uh, anyway, we had a great time with them. Uh, the only thing he was missing
1: were the Chiefs. They yeah, they were supposed that's right. to be there. <laughs> Speaking of that, I want, I want to wrap up with a couple of real, a couple of personal things for you. How closely do you follow the Chiefs now?
0: Well, um, I'll always be a Chiefs fan, and uh, so I do follow. Them. I follow them pretty close because of my friendship and relationship with Andy Reid. Just, just as Dick. Has this. I've known Andy for 35 years. The coaching profession is, is one big fraternity. Yeah. And like we say, you always meet the same people you meet going up the ladder that you may meet coming down the ladder. But um, I knew him all the way back to uh, BYU. Uh, yeah. a, a magnificent guy himself. Obviously, uh, uh, I don't like the word genius. None of us do, but it, he's as close to possible as an yeah. offensive-minded guy, quite obviously. But, I will text him before or after every game, and I always say, Andy, don't respond. You've got a thousand things to do. Just good luck today, or what a great game you had on Sunday, and that. And he always responds, always. And it's two or three uh, sentences for whatever it might be. But, and he does, I know he does that with everybody. Yeah. But he and, Dick, he and Dick were very, very close. Dick was very, very responsible for uh, Clark and the Hunt family hiring Andy Reid. And uh, uh, so because of that, I I, I do stay close. Um, You know, time passes on. I knew, frankly, quite readily knew that when Lamar left, uh, I had another year and a half on my contract. I, I was 20 years with them, with the Hunt family, but... 17 and a half with with Lamar and uh, 18 and a half. um, I knew things were going to change. And so I told Clark, I said, listen, uh, I'll finish this out 20 years, which is a hell of a long run in my business. And, uh, but you're going to want to do it your way. And And he did, and he screwed it up badly the first four years. uh, (laughs) Yeah. What the hell is the GM's name anyway? I can't remember Scott Pioli. It. Anyway, yeah. yeah, Scott Pioli. And uh, uh, Dick really helped him because he finally went to Dick and said, who do I hire? And Dick said, well, you might think I'm crazy, but I'd hire the guy that just got fired after 15 years at Philadelphia, but he's a hell of a football coach and knows yeah. how to win and build a winning organization. And, and he did, and as they say, the rest is history. But um Anyway, I I uh, it was it was great we saw Lori and I Norma uh, at the Super Bowl again this year. We see her every year, you know, she's never missed one. Yeah. She's the only only NFL owner owner's wife to be at every single Super Bowl like 56. Wow. And uh wonderful, wonderful lady. And uh you know, I, I I do periodically communicate with with Clark, but uh Maybe maybe a little bit more so with Lamar Hunt Jr. He is yeah. here in uh, Kansas City where Clark yeah. is, is in Dallas and he'll always be there. But, um, so, but I still uh, love the Chiefs. I mean, they, they've made some changes. Some I agree with, some I don't. Yeah. But it's no longer my watch.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right. I always like to wrap up and I've really, really enjoyed our time together today. But I'd always like to wrap up with this question and you can interpret it Interpret the question and answer it however you feel comfortable. What is your legacy? <laughs> uh, uh, legacy with
0: the Chiefs or legacy in pro football?
1: Again, however you want to interpret that legacy in football, <laughs> legacy with the Chiefs, legacy in life. How, you can interpret that however you want. Well. I would hope it is uh, that I
0: have had and always have had a, a real uh, deep understanding how to build a team and, and what goes into all of that. Yeah. And uh, game we play the game we coach, the game I administer uh, is, is the essence of team sports. I mean, I've always said that I, I've had a, a wonderful career, as I said, when I stepped away from the league, uh, I've been an assistant coach, I've been a director of player personnel, I've been a general manager, I've been a CEO, I've been a president, I've been a chairman, I was chairman of USA Football. But uh, in all of those, uh, you know, I've tried to, to build a team and and that team is certainly on the field, the coaches and players, but also off the field I've always wanted to try to make sure that everyone everyone in the organization, you know from the guys that empty the waste baskets at night or girls uh, to the head coach to the ownership uh, are all part of the team and are all important parts of the team. they all, they all have um, an important responsibility. And uh, if if I've been able to do that, uh, then then I, I feel very very good about it. But uh, without a question, I've been very lucky. I've only, I've only worked with three owners, two in the NFL and one in the USFL, and uh, all of them were terrific. But there was no one like Lamar Hunt. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Lamar understood. Team concept is as good as anybody I've ever known. Yeah, and obviously, uh, it's, just, it's just an honor and a privilege to work for him uh, for as long as I did. Um, and uh, obviously, Dick Vermeil as, as, as a mentor, uh, etc. Very special and, and, like I say, unique that I very seldom you get a chance to hire the guy that hires you.
1: Yeah.
0: but. If if we've had any success, it's because we built a team. So I guess that would be it.
1: All right. Great answer. Well, again, it was a pleasure to spend some time with you today. I look forward to seeing you at a Chiefs game or out and about or whatever, but uh, I do appreciate your time.
0: Oh, hey, it's been my pleasure, really.
1: Thanks for listening to Sports
0: Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmailbooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next
1: time.